Hello and welcome to the Groovy Movie Girls podcast. This is your host, Sophia King. And your other host, Ava Faust. And this episode, we'll be discussing the film, The Virgin Suicides. I'm really excited to hear your opinions on the movie, Ava, because I really enjoyed it. And I feel like there are many scenes or themes that could be interpreted differently among different people. I agree, and I'm ready to dive in and hear your take, especially since you're the one who discovered this film in the first place. The film Virgin Suicides is a coming-of-age story set in Detroit, Michigan, 1975. It tells the tragic story of five teenage sisters whose lives were each cut short by suicide. The themes of toxic perceptions of religion, isolation, and mortality are weaved together to describe the madness that became unbearable enough for all of the sisters to lose their belief that their lives were meaningful enough to preserve. The film came out in 1999 and was Sofia Coppola's first film, so it was pretty exciting for people who already had known of Francis Ford Coppola, her father, and his films. People also wanted to see if Sofia was as great of a director in her films since she was similar to her father. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've seen any of her father's movies, so I don't really know if they're similar at all or not. But by watching the film and commentary, I thought she was amazing. It's interesting because when Sophia first wrote the Virgin Suicides movie script, she immediately fell in love with it and knew she had to make a film based on Jeffrey Eugenides' novel, The Virgin Suicides. When the book first came out, people thought it was misogynistic because of the hyper-focus on, hem- on femininity femininity and the strong female leads that were represented in the film but luckily this did not affect Sophia's desire to create a film in any way and actually motivated her to showcase feminism on screen even more she wrote the script and presented it to her father and he was not expecting to be so blown away she had previously asked him if he would help to buy the rights of the book so that she could write the screenplay but he was unable to because it was owned by much more important and well-known um, studios. But she sat on her own and wrote the screenplay at the quote-unquote risking breaking her heart if they didn't want to use it. But then when she took it to the people who owned the book, they loved it. Her father gave a piece of advice that he told Sophia whenever she is creatively stuck. He says that, you know, a project like anything has its own life. And if you deny that life, then you're gonna have something that's not alive. And the whole object of art is finding life. Yeah, I think having her father as a mentor, she became a gifted film director throughout the process of the of filming The Virgin Suicides. And I thought it was interesting how Francis did not want to be too controlling over Sophia when helping her, so he was rather letting her have her own creative freedom, but also inserting little pieces of advice and just his ideas here and there. This resulted in a professional and effective relationship between the two of them, which the whole cast could appreciate. I thought it was really special to watch him watch her blossom and make a place for herself in the industry. Many people on set appreciated her take and that the director was female. Kirsten Dunst, who plays Lux, said that she thinks it's important that a female writes the script because it's all about these five girls. She also included how it was good that Sophia wrote the script because the actors could ask her about anything and she really knew about each character and how she wanted it to be. Josh Harnett, aka Tripp, 
revealed that Sophia has been more intrigued by the girl's story than perhaps the male narration, so it's going to bring out different colors. When the book came out, there were certain people who thought that it was misogynistic, and I always felt that my sympathy was with the girls in the book, and I felt that Sophia understood that, and I was glad that she did it because of that. I thought this was pretty cool to hear coming from a guy's perspective. Um, the guy who played the pastor gave a really genius analogy. He said that if you work for the person that wrote the script, then you're working with the source of the whole thing. There's a looseness with the script of writers slash directors that have people who can't write, who just get the script from somebody else, never have. Oh my god, wait. Yeah. It's almost like they've got a race car and they want you to get in it and run this race. They tell you where to go and how to drive it, but if it breaks down, they don't know how to fix it. They don't know what the mechanics of that vehicle are that you're in. That's just making, it makes everyone feel so much more secure when you're around somebody who's, you know, writing a thing or two. I also, I just realized you share the same name as Sophia. Oh, I know. <laughs> I like, okay, yeah, I just realized that. <laughs> um, watching the making of this film, I thought it was really cool how it was such a collaborative effort among her whole family. And along with working with her father on the project, Sophia also worked with two other family members. Her cousin, Robert Schwartzman, plays Paul Baldino, one of the neighborhood boys who obsesses over the Lisbon girls. Robert spoke about how he loved filming because it felt like one big family working together. Chris Neal, another one of Sophia's cousins, served as an acting coach for some of the kids who have never acted before. And this was good because there were many teenagers on set who probably most of them had little to no experience acting and needed some guidance. Um, even Sophia's mother, Eleanor Coppola, experienced watching her daughter direct for, the, for a lot of the filmmaking process. And I'm pretty sure that she recorded the commentary oh, video. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, she talks about how she felt like Sophia had such a tender and sweet way with the young actors that she was working with and that it shows on screen. It's kind of like she took a motherly role when guiding them. Although she loved watching her daughter live out her passion, Eleanor said that the hardest part for her was watching Sophia have to continue when she was very exhausted and had to go through the rigorous work because, you know, it was her first time. Another family connection is her brother, her older brother, who she let temporarily take over for her for a few days when she couldn't be on set. She had grown up being best friends with him, and they were practically the same person sharing a brain. So this basically gave her no doubt that her vision could be understood by him because um, they think alike and he knows what she likes. So he'll make sure that they do it exactly that way. Yeah, it was interesting listening to the cast members' opinions on Coppola and her directing and the experience filming the movie as a whole. For example, her, for example, <laughs> her cousin Robert said how he loved filming... Oh, wait. I already said that. Oh, shit. That's okay. Um, wait, we just... Repeat it. Wait, no, we did. Oh, okay. No, Josh. Josh had a lot to say. So Josh Harnett, who plays Trip Fontaine, even said that she's the most insightful director that he's worked with so far. He also says that you know she's really understanding where an actor comes from, and how to get to a new place if she doesn't think that you're going in the right direction. Yeah, I can see that. It seems like the whole cast has a lot of respect for her and her directing style, since so many of them went on to compliment it. Scott Glenn, who played Father Moody, said, 
She's got the touch. She knows what she wants and reminds you of pieces of the reality of the scenes, the scene that escaped me. And I like to pride myself that not a whole lot escapes me. And yet she leaves you alone to find your own rhythm. Okay, so let's get into the film and how it opens up. So it begins in a sunny suburban neighborhood with neighbors mowing their lawns and relaxing outside. And then the next scene jumps to Cecilia Lisbon. Oh wait, trigger, trigger warning. warning. Sorry, this, it gets a little gruesome at parts. So we wanted to do a quick trigger warning. Um, as I was saying, the next scene jumps to Cecilia Lisbon laying in a bloody bathtub with her wrists slit and getting rushed to the hospital. So, I think that these two scenes establish the universe effectively through the contrast and severity of many moments that occur. There are definite signs of this foreshadowing events yet to come that you guys haven't seen yet, but breaking down the complex reality of the idealistic quote-unquote suburban dream. It's the warm summertime filled with activities that complement the setting like children playing Lux eating a popsicle, cars honking, construction, and slow mellow background music. This is the happy setting, and the bathtub scene hints at what the audience will later learn, that the reality, reality of the place that they call home is actually a freedomless prison. And several of these contrasting sequences seem intentional to me because Sofia Coppola's standpoint on this film is so shocking and controversial. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think these sequences also paint all of the adults in the film in almost a satirical way because of their responses and reactions to certain situations. So, for example, to help their daughter Cecilia overcome her depression and suicidal behavior, the Lisbon parents decide to throw a party for her per doctor's orders, which is obviously pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I just realized that that was, like, the doctor's orders. Yeah, like, That's very... what kind of doctor would do that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, because then Cecilia ends up committing suicide during that same party. So clearly the doctor's orders were not too effective. Um, a few scenes in, the audience is introduced to a young boy who jumps off of his house to prove his love for a girl that he met briefly. This isn't one of the main characters, but according to the narrator... When Diana Porter, which is the girl, left on vacation in Switzerland, Dominic, which is the boy, denounced God. And to prove the validity of his love, he jumped off the roof of his relative's house. Now, I think this is a great example, and one of the many examples, that highlights part of the dark and mundane world of adolescence. Filled with a dark desire to make meaning out of every moment, and try to find symbolism in anything having to do with emotions. In answer to what the film is about, Coppola says, it's a lot about sort of voyeurism and memory and the sort of obsessional love that you have when you're 13 or 14. Okay, let's get into any favorite scenes or just scenes that we found really like visually pleasing. So mm. in my opinion, Honestly, the visual aspect of this film makes it the great successful film that it is. The use of color seems so intentional and intricate to me because whenever one of the five blonde Lisbon sisters is on the screen or in the frame, there seems to be more warmer and golden tones on that frame. And there's also a grainy filter over the whole film that gives it a vintage feel 
and to also help the audience more effectively envision the 1970s setting. Um, my personal favorite scene is when the neighbor boys are obsessing and fantasizing over the Lisbon girls, as they always do. And they have daydreams of Lux and the clouds, and you see these very beautiful and artistic visuals. In general, the main thing that will stick out to me when I think of this film is the breathtaking use of color and retro and exciting 1970s setting that reminds me a lot of Dazed and Confused. <laughs> have you ever seen that? Um, I actually don't think I've seen all of it. It's really good. You should watch it. Anyways, what did you think about So, I think that this is a really hard question to answer. I mean, I'm a sucker for shock factor, and that's basically what was delivered scene after scene. But if I have to pick one, I I think I'd probably go with the whole prom night in general. Yeah. But oh or, yeah, that was like, like prom funny. or homecoming. I don't know. Yeah. Same well, thing. The Maybe. dance. I don't know. Just them getting in the car, and then all the way through, Lux being passed out on the field. But I really like in the dancing or the gym <laughs> when. There was like this one highlighted scene where it's like just the music and them dancing in slow-mo. And that's like what I thought uh, high school dances would be like. And it wasn't, yeah. but I mean, they make it sound great. And I the loved, music was quality. I loved when they were under the bleachers and I think they were drinking something. Yeah, they were drinking and yeah. then they kissed. I like just remember that as you were talking about the prom scene, but yeah. And yeah. then... Like, that was already pretty cool to me. And then um, after watching the commentary, Sophia said something, or there was a close-up of her talking to the actors, and she was telling them all to be, like, acting like it was the happiest time of their life. Like, they had never been as happy as they were in that moment oh, because yeah. it was supposed to be, like, the like the climax, basically. Like, the highlight happiness. And yeah. it kind of went all downhill from there. So I guess that was... Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving along to um, any music or art that we think was noteworthy, I personally really enjoyed the soundtrack because it stayed, stayed true to the 70s setting by using mainly 70s retro music, especially when they played I'm Not In Love by 10cc at the school dance. Um, I loved the insertion of that song because I remember my mom telling me how much she loved that song when she was a teenager so clearly it was very fitting for the film that's a really cool connection and it <laughs> reminds me of how like other Sophia's family is all connected to this movie and how we're all able to make our own connections now to it just like they did in the commentary Sophia is described as having um, a quote-unquote hand in many areas and this included being able to draw upon fashion music art and literature to spark inspiration for her creative direction. It's one of her strengths and she's been a visual person all of her life. So this was said to be like a culmination of her really acting on her visual abilities for the first time. Yeah, I feel like I could tell through the whole movie that she had a good sense of fashion and art because really the whole movie, like I said, was so visually pleasing. So I could definitely see those skills, like, shine through. Yeah. I mean, one part that was kind of quirky, but, like, I can see it's very her, was when it focused on the faces of the Lisbon girls, and it 
it had like the color, like the sort of technic color, but like oh yeah, heaven glow. Yeah, I don't know. I love it. It was almost like the corniness didn't match, but like it matched perfectly. Yeah, for the emotions, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, now let's discuss the cinematography. So anything that we noticed for me, reaction shots seem to have the similar purse purpose as close-up shots and their interpretation of their internal problems and emotions that were stirring within the characters. This was definitely one of the main things that I noticed in revealing the personality with Lux. Within the first 20 minutes of watching the movie with the volume and subtitles off, I recognized the repeated close-ups focusing on her at the party that was supposed to be healing for Cecilia, but there was mostly scenes with Lux and the close-ups had her basically making flirty eyes with all of the boys repeatedly whether it be at the dinner table while discreetly pushing her sweater off her shoulder off of her shoulder as she stared into the boy across from her at the table or being the bold one to stare first there was clear intention to emphasize these parts of her character and she seems to always be dominating the moment like when she silently battles someone else to look to see who looks away first yeah, I agree that mainly all the close-ups were shot to capture the emotions of the characters, like reaction shots, especially in the dinner table scene. Another example of this is when um, Cecilia died and all the boys at the party rushed outside and then the camera got closer to their faces, which were white with horror, obviously, and as they abruptly left the house to let the sisters and their parents grieve. Um, I believe this scene is the family moment as well in the film because of how it kind of catches the audience by surprise. I mean, I know I was on the edge of my seat when laughing about the neighbor boy <laughs> flirting with Mrs. Lisbon and then only seconds later finding out that Cecilia had jumped out of her bedroom window and onto a sharp metal fence. It was kind of a major yeah. turn of events. I didn't even think about that because I was... I had always considered the family moment to be either when they showed Cecilia in the tub oh, yeah. or when she was, um, I guess it was either that or when the characters were getting introduced, but now I definitely think it was then because um, something in the commentary they talked about how, because I didn't even notice this before, I didn't notice the reactions of the family members, but they were like specifically cast off to the side and like turning away and the emotion was just especially directed on the father because he was just standing there holding his daughter because he was in shock yeah and i didn't i didn't think anything was special but i guess it's more of a real reaction than what you'd see yeah dramatically um i also noticed a few repeated images that were emphasized by close-up shots the first of these appeared after the stationary view of the youngest daughter floating in the tub again um, there's a lot of important things in this scene, but with this, when she is being carried out to be sent to the hospital, a holy card falls from her hand, and the camera quickly switches to a close-up of the card hitting the floor, followed by several droplets that were trailing from her body. <laughs> the holy card makes several appearances, um, in the film, including in various of the girls' bedrooms when the boy who stayed for dinner went and searched the rooms, but it kind of... Um, in my opinion, seems to exemplify the contradiction of being raised in a strict Catholic home, Christian home. And in a twisted way, it's like Cecilia's faith ultimately led to her attempting suicide. 
Maybe in the hopes of being in some sort of heaven, like anything better than that house, I guess. Yeah, um, I agree. That was a really gruesome scene to watch. Honestly, like the whole movie though is. Um, so we decided to do some further research. So we read an article titled The Virgin Suicides is a window into Sofia Coppola's fixations from The Dissolve, which is mainly about the style of Coppola's films and the uniqueness within them. One of Coppola's trademarks I learned is the window gaze, where a character is looking out from a window at the world, usually with reflections of that world appearing in the glass. This scene appears when the Lisbon girls were isolated inside of their house and looking out their bedroom window in despair from being separated from the neighborhood boys and the rest of their friends. It also pops up when Lux Lisbon is in the car getting picked up by her mother after her disastrous prom night with Trip Fontaine when he abandoned her on the football field. Um, Lux looked out the window in distress thinking about what had happened to her and what's to come from her parents disciplining her. The window gaze is also featured in some of Coppola's other films such as Marie Antoinette, Lost in Translation, The Bling Ring, and even more. So it was really interesting to learn about that because I didn't even pick up on like the window scenes really. Yeah, I would not have noticed that before, especially since that was her first film, like without that research. Oh, yeah. I would not have noticed it. But um, one perspective that the article also touched on was how the neighbor boys played just as big of a role as the Lisbon sisters did. The boys are now men trying to think back and analyze everything and piece it together over and over to try and understand what happened. Like anytime they meet up now in their adult stage, all of those memories come rushing back and they try to figure it all out only to realize there's no explanation. I didn't really think about it while watching, but the boys are the true main characters. I mean, it's their story to tell, and while we don't get as much of a direct connection to their characters through the story when they were children, we're technically viewing it through their perspective. Something else that I didn't know before watching the movie was that it was based on the novel by Jeffrey Eugenides, as we said earlier. Um, according to Sophia, the book is not character-driven at all. The only character in it is, in a sense, is the narrator, the collective narrator. A lot of the characters, Mr. Lisbon, Mrs. Lisbon, you get a fragmentary knowledge of what they're, look, what they're like in the book. So now that they're actually embodied by these really terrific actors, they become sort of bigger characters than she'd imagined in the book, which kind of connects back to like how she used her own interpretation to put more of the, she twisted the story into focusing more on the girl's perspective and. The guy stuck to the background, but they're the, they're the real main characters. Yeah. I thought it was almost kind of sweet how they're sort of the main characters because they're so, like, in love with the Lisbons that it's just, like, really cute. Yeah. Because they're still little, like, innocent It's boys. so innocent, and they're adults. <laughs> um, so going on to the ending of the film and whether we thought it was effective... Um, I just think, although some people might argue that the ending was unsatisfactory or too dark, I believe that was Sofia Coppola's intention to make the film a little bit gruesome. I enjoyed the ending because I thought it came really full circle when the last four, I mean, obviously I didn't enjoy that the last four Lisbon girls 
committed suicide, but I did think it came full circle because it jumps to a fancy debutante ball and the whole scene of the debutante ball has a strong green hue as the filter, which reminded me of earlier in the film when Cecilia first died and all the students at her school were given green pamphlets because they were told the color green is not too sad but also not too happy. So when I caught that at the end, I had an awe moment, although I don't know if that was Coppola's intention. Yeah, when because I didn't even realize that whatsoever, and it's kind of one of those larger insights that is not very obvious, so yeah, <laughs> right. applause to you. Um, I also think it was effective, I mean, like in its own way. I feel like there was a lot that was left unsaid through the movie, and while we're aware of the general feelings of the girls and that it leads them to do certain things, there's still so much mystery surrounding them. So I considered it fitting that this theme is maintained up to the end, where I noticed that none of the girls were shown right before their suicides. So we as an audience had no idea or even get a chance to say goodbye to them that they were committing suicide. And we're giving absolutely no clue as to what would come next. So even if we were told it, or aware that they would be doing that, we didn't even get to see it. And when you brought this up, Sophia, I remembered something from the commentary that Sofia Cop Coppola had said, Coppola, she revealed a little secret about the last scene, and apparently, Kirsten Dunst couldn't be there to film to have her body in the car, so Sofia last second had to hop into the driver's seat in front of the camera and dangle her arm out of the window so it wasn't even technically Lux's body. Um, it wasn't anything major, but it kind of made that scene, scene a little bit warmer in a sense that it made it more real. And I think it kind of, it made it more real for her in a dark way, but it kind of connects everything better yeah. to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what did you think the theme of this movie was? Um, I personally think the theme of the movie is, well, it couldn't be up for up to interpretation like many other movies, but in my opinion, it's, just about isolation and how the excessive control that the Lisbon parents have over their daughters causes psychological pain for them. For example, when Mrs. Lisbon pulls her daughters out of school because of Lux's tendencies to act out, um, that's like the main thing that leads me to think that isolation is the theme because this drives the girls mad as they are locked in with their oppressive parents they become miserable doing anything they can to reach outside, to reach the outside world by calling the neighbor boys and playing music from the record on into the phone. When they finally get the chance to leave the house, their faces show happiness and freedom, which doesn't last long until they end all their lives for the purpose of ending the mental distress that they have gone through. Although it wasn't the Lisbon's intent the Lisbon parents' intent for this to happen to their girls. They have caused the tragedy of the daughters' deaths due to their desires to protect their children from the evils of the outside world by isolating them. I just want to add that I thought this was kind of ironic since through the whole movie, the parents didn't seem to have much of a concern for their daughters' emotions, just their yeah. well-being and a sense of having a good family image in the public. But... 
it's like once the daughters were completely gone, all of them out of their lives, the mother just became numb and was like sitting on her bed facing the wall completely. And it's like, she didn't do that for Cecilia. She just moved on with her life. So yeah. I think this was like the breaking point. I feel like that's how it is with, there can obviously be strict parents who are great parents, but then there's strict parents who really just focus more almost on image. like the public image of their family right and don't focus on like what their parenting tactics are doing to their kids mental health which yeah. is clearly happening in the film yeah good intent but kind of twisted yeah. intent right um so when we were considering our intro music it was not a question that we'd be using the same from the movie so we decided to mirror the movie itself and bring that soundtrack to our intro and close, closing. And it's actually, all of the songs together on the soundtrack are from one album from the same French elect electronic duo named Air. Um, Virginia Records officially released the album on February 23rd of 2000 and even ended up being nominated for Best Soundtrack at the 2001 Brit Awards. Major recognition came in 2014 when New Music Express placed the album at number 11 on their 61 of the greatest film soundtracks ever list. And then the year of 2019 brought along further recognition when Pitchfork placed the album at number 4 on their top 50 best movie scores of all time list. It really is a sort of hidden gem. I didn't think that there would be so much success from that type of album, even though I did enjoy the music as it matched the movie really well. But each song added the perfect tone and tone that blended the feelings of scenes together. And it provides the atmosphere for the audience to just process the visual moments between scenes without dialogue. Um, and then the title of our podcast is Groovy Movie Girls because we felt that it fit the aesthetic of the film's setting as it was in the 70s and the quote-unquote groovy vibes um, were coming off from the music very well. Right. <laughs> I don't think we could explain it better than that. Yes, I think this film was a great, aesthetically pleasing, groovy movie, and yeah. I would really recommend it, unless you can be a little, um, you know, again, trigger warning, if you don't want to watch a movie about suicide, I completely understand. It's good for your emotional growth. Um, it's not the typical stereotype of the 70s but that makes yeah. it more real so if you want real check it out man <laughs> and thank you for listening to the groovy movie girls podcast Bye. stay groovy, stay groovy. <laughs>